Hey, welcome to the Kickstart Podcast here on Swap Moto Live. Um, we are uh, happy to welcome 6D as the title sponsor of this show. And uh, in case you've been in a cave or living under a rock, you should already know that uh, 6D was the first brand to bring improved helmet technology uh, that addresses both angular acceleration and low threshold energy while simultaneously improving high velocity performance. So, uh, 6D a few years ago changed the way we all thought about motocross helmets with the uh, addressing of the rotational brain injuries, and uh, we're certainly glad to have them on board as a show sponsor. So uh, today we are uh, joined by none other than Nick Way, um, following the eventful Houston Supercross Triple Crown. Um, so Nick is uh, he's a great guest to have today because you are also the riding coach slash mentor of Adam Cincerello, correct? Highlight on highlight, son. <laughs> so uh, I was at Houston this weekend, and, uh, you know, Adam, he crushed the qualifying game, looked flawless in that first first of uh, three heat races, and uh, kind of wheels fell off just like that last Triple Crown, didn't it? Yeah, I think sometimes he uh... – Maybe thinks he needs to do more than what he needs. Um, so he didn't get the he, – he got a, a not-so-great start in the second one, and then Soft Randis was leading and needed to get up there quickly. But with the, with the triple crown format, I mean, honestly, he probably could have uh, gotten into second with Colt having trouble with if he would have ridden behind those two guys that he essentially almost ran into on the over-under for, like, three laps. Yeah. So – um, yeah, it's just kind of reiterating that he doesn't need to do anything more than what he's capable of, nothing to, out of his comfort zone. But certainly, I mean, you can't um, – I can't really knock him for his effort. I mean, certainly he's committed to doing whatever it takes. Yeah. Sometimes we need to kind of take a step back and realize that it doesn't take as much as he thinks it does. Because um, even crashing on the first lap, he comes back and can come through the pack because he's that – He's that much more talented than the rest of the field up to a certain point, right? So. Yeah, I mean, certainly he has some speed on deck that doesn't necessarily need to always – we don't need to always see that. You know, we kind of just need to do what's repeatable and yeah. stick to that. That's more consistent. Um, yeah, but ultimately before this weekend, because I felt like in Seattle he should have probably won, but maybe he rode a little bit too conservative because the track was pretty slick and you couldn't really ride too aggressively. But ultimately I think he could have challenged – Ferranis a lot more than he he did just for the fact that he was able to catch him you know a second once he made a mistake he would catch him a second within you know like a lap or a lap mm -hmm. and a half so for him to just sit behind him like he did I, I wasn't necessarily super happy with that because you kind of need to just be aggressive mm -hmm. and do what you can do and worry about yourself so going into the weekend that was kind of the mindset is just to be aggressive and and go do what he could but um, yeah maybe in the for about 15, 20 seconds in the second main, it was a little bit too much. Yeah. Hey, how much have you guys, like, redeveloped his riding style? Because I watch practice, and he pretty much, like, rides the rear wheel everywhere. Like, he's yanking up on the handlebars, and, and he's way, way far back. And then when he does rhythm sections and stuff, he always kicks out his left foot. Is that, like, something you guys have worked on to be a little more weight biased towards the rear, or is that something that he's just done because he's so tall? Uh, him being so far back on the bike is – uh, it's kind of his jam since I think he was on 80s because everybody like riding an 85 on an outdoor track you kind of want to just sit on the back wheel and get more traction. Yeah. So I think that's just kind of innate 
have it for him just because he's done it for so long. But, yeah, that's not something that we, we work on specifically. If anything, we try to work beyond a little bit more neutral on the bike and and uh, try to just stick to the fundamentals a little bit more. But, yeah, he is able to um, make some time in some of the faster sections by getting the bike to the ground quicker by doing stuff like that. But generally we, we work on what we can do more consistently instead of stuff like that, to be honest. Like, you can always tell when he goes to a rhythm section because he'll hang off the side and then kick his left foot out. Ninja kick. Every jump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just it's kind of like a... It's, a comfort thing? Well, it's more like a way for him to push through the lane mm-hmm. and then kind of get to where he he can uh, move the bike around, I mm-hmm. guess. So, yeah, that's kind of... that's. But, yeah, that's his own little flair on it. Yeah, because they had the camera on him oh. for, like, a couple laps during qualifying, and he is just, like... If he rode a wheelie the whole way around, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> So that was pretty good. Yep. Hey, you ever think about maybe you getting on the pit board instead of the mechanic? Um, no. I mean, I like I'm I'm down there and I'll help like pick the gate and kind of when he comes back from the hot lap, hop out and help with the start hook. I mean, I'm involved down there for sure. But um, Brandon does a great job and he certainly mm-hmm. keeps him pretty focused and motivated because he's pretty even keeled with the emotions and I think that's what's best for him for Adam specifically, because he is willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. And sometimes that's um, the only only time in the past where he struggled is when he thinks that it takes more than what it does. And then yeah. he kind of goes a little bit more than what he's capable of, I guess. So like I said, you can't knock his commitment for sure. And he definitely was going for the win this weekend, which is commendable and, and fortunately didn't lose too many points. Yeah. What, what, are your, uh, what are your thoughts about the whole Triple Crown format, three mains? Not much time in between race. Uh. Well, I mean, honestly, the the 250 main was 13 laps, 13 laps, 14 laps. I mean, where a few years ago, that would have been – so there's essentially almost three times the amount of riding. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that it, it's definitely cool. It's exciting. No doubt it's exciting. Um, I think also from the casual spectator or the spe- spectator that's there, it, you, just, you see the top riders ride on the track more, yeah. which is also a plus. I think in Adam's position or, you know, a championship contender position, it's tough because you got to be consistent. But ultimately, too, at both of these Triple Crowns, Adam's had a hard time where he's had big crashes. And still, you know, I think at the Anaheim one, he, I want to say he got third or fourth after having a huge crash. And then I think he got fourth and then he got fourth again. So, I mean, certainly for him, if it was a 15-lap main, he probably would have been able to recover some. But not nearly like he had with the three, but um, yeah. again, I think at the same time, he probably wouldn't have been in that same position if it was a full main either. So it's definitely exciting for the fan. There's, there's no question there. Yeah, that, that third main event, his comeback was pretty incredible. I thought he, he got third or fourth in the last main? Yeah, last main he crashed on the first lap with Mosman and the whoops and then was able to come back to third, which was good for him. He rode really well. Um, obviously, the circumstances weren't great because in the first corner, March Banks kind of his body flew in front of him, kind of yeah. kind of bowling balled the pack, and uh, that didn't help Adam. And nor did obviously laying in the whoops for 20 seconds on the first lap. But yeah, he, he rode well and came back to third. So I think it was 111.3 for mm-hmm. fourth overall. So yeah, did you? Well, I'm not. I know you talked to him about what was going on over the jump after the finish when he had his arm off and. What was his thinking there when he took his arm off? Yeah, on TV it looked like he didn't need to do that and he had it under control. But I was standing like on the side angle from the front Yeah. at the race and I saw like because he was essentially going to end up landing on Cantrell's seat. 
So he wasn't like trying to push Cantrell. It was like he was trying to get some distance between him and Cantrell so they didn't, his bike didn't touch his. Yeah. Uh, one thing being Cantrell was next to, I don't forget who the other rider was, so he jumped back towards Adam because he did, probably didn't even know Adam was there. And then Adam, just out of habit from practice, they scrubbed it back to the left. And then Adam's bike was headed towards Cantrell's also. Yeah. So Adam for sure should have probably just jumped straight and maybe just bumped into the side of him on that and then kept it moving. But Cantrell did fade over quite a bit. And ultimately in those things, like that jump's so steep, I mean, it's probably... You couldn't downside that. Well, it's 12 feet across the top probably, right? And they're hitting it at, we'll call it 30 miles an hour. So they're like, it's popping them up. And so they're just stalled out. So instinctually, I think what Adam did is he felt as if he was going to land right on Cantrell's back. Mm -hmm. And then what he saw happening was come to a stop and slap his head down and would have been much worse crash than what happened yeah. yeah but ultimately he was he lost a lot of time because where he couldn't get his bike right away yeah, yeah. and not, not only that like flaggers can't really help either because it's, it's where you're going to be like flagger going to cross the, the track underneath and hop up there so yeah tough yeah. spot for everybody you could tell that he made up a lot of time on cantrell if you watch that gopro again and i'm sure you guys are going to go through that a ton because he catches them in the whoops they go through that turn before the finish line and he's right there as they go up the face of it. And he even kind of goes a little farther on the triple, yeah. knowing that, like, hey, I'm here, like, through a rev to get them going. But I think they were all consumed on what was happening ahead of them, too. Yeah, and specifically, like, on the GoPro playback footage, which you guys will have on your site here soon, like, it's you can see the severity of how, how close far they, they came. Yeah, over. how far they came. Yeah. Yeah. Because on TV, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Hey, they made a lot of talk about Adam like 450 here like he's got to do all this stuff contract season uh, he's had a little bit of time on a 450 outdoors at, at down at Paula and everything does he Fox ride Raceway. Fox Raceway sorry uh does he ride the bike much differently like does he seem like because of his size he's going to be a better 450 guy because he doesn't have to ride to the limit of the 250 well I mean I think everybody says that right like I'm a better yeah whatever class guy but really, I think a lot of times the guys who come from 250s to 450s really accelerate right away just for the fact that the 250, you have to ride it, so, which we talk about, like mm-hmm. more animated, probably like a little bit more intensity because the bike doesn't have as much horsepower, right? Right. But then ultimately what we've been working on is trying to get his speed repeatable and something that he can do safely over and over and over and not like reach a, a spot where he's like, oh, I was lucky to get through that section. So. I think when the time comes to move up to 450, we're obviously working on base fitness and things like that because these 17 rounds over 18 weekends, it comes at you quick and it's hard to really make a huge push mm-hmm. as to improving your fitness and riding during the season as we've seen over the years. So you kind of, you have to come in ready. So we've been increasing his training volume over the season for one being outdoors coming up and then two being uh, not sure, up in the air as to what the plan is for 2020. So we're just trying to make sure, regardless, he's ready for the, you know, what's coming at him now, which is outdoors. Um, but ultimately, there's a fine line between doing too much and doing what you can. So yeah. we're, uh, we're towing that line. And obviously, we've made a lot of huge gains where he's been a consistent winner. Um, ultimately, in the, in the, the, our two Achilles heels has been the triple crowns. But I feel like in the full race format, 15 plus one, it's going to be tough to beat. The big thing, I mean, first year that he stayed in California for this much, and he has you there every day, day in, day out, pro circuit guys. Can he tell a big difference? Has he been, like, vocal to you guys? Like, wow, this is so much different than me going back to Florida. I can notice X, Y, Z gains or X, Y, Z difference. Um, I think he's happy with the progress he's made for sure. Um, 
we try to keep the riding pretty local. I mean, we go to Glen Helen to ride the Pro Circuit track, and that's as far as we, we've been going, really. And a lot of the times where it had rained a bunch this wintertime, we had gone to some tracks where we can work on some stuff, whether we mm-hmm. ride the track in wet conditions and work it into where it's rutted and work on some new stuff just so it's not doing the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. So conscious of that for sure, just trying to keep working on specific things. Um, yeah, I, I would think he's pretty pleased with, with how things are going and obviously still need to stay focused and keep improving. That goes without saying. But, um, yeah, it seems like we've had the tools we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, team's done a great job providing him with support day to day. And um, like you said, he, he moved close by here, so we're working very closely together on a daily, weekly. And I bet I've gone to every race. So, um, yeah, I, I'm happy with the progress. But like I said, we're, we're continuing to focus on the things in which he can improve it's pretty easy for me to point out where we can where he can improve yeah. so with with a few races left here in supercross he's in a good spot now mm-hmm. and, and trying to keep it it's a tough balance to be ready for these supercross rounds yeah. but also be 100 percent when hangtown rolls around also so he said that uh well you know you guys take the break during the east coast but since he's in title contention he tried to stay sharp on supercross how much motor did you guys do in the off weekends Wow, yeah, there was like a month off before between Atlanta, and honestly, before Atlanta, he rode just uh, two days before Atlanta, before we raced Supercrosses. He had the two days during the week, and he rode press day. Mm-hmm. So we were pretty focused on outdoor preparation, and obviously Atlanta went really well for him. And then we kind of did the same thing bef- this last break here. We, we stuck to riding outdoors quite a bit, and then the last two weeks, we did one full week and then a partial week last week because he was – a little bit ill and we skipped a day um of supercross so yeah a lot of our focus has been on outdoors so mm-hmm. we've got a jump start on that got a lot of testing in with the team um pretty close on bike setup and all that he's super happy with how that's that's squared away uh, but from now like this week we're going to ride supercross then obviously next week before denver and then we'll probably switch back to supercross or outdoors mm-hmm. a little bit then the week break for easter before vegas yeah how was his mood after the race this weekend i mean i I kind of assumed I wouldn't get him for how was your weekend. And I did try to go over there, and, and they said that he had just left. So it's not like he just was took off, but was he pretty upset or was he okay? No, he was obviously he was a little bit – he was bummed with the decision he made and that ultimately cost him the second race, which mm-hmm. cost him a chance at winning. Um, but, yeah, I don't, he wasn't super discouraged. I think he was the fastest guy in most every one of the mains, yeah. even after coming off the ground. So um, the biggest focus was to try to stay in an offensive mindset and try to just do what the best he could do. And ultimately, if there was, like, the 15 seconds where he gassed it between the triple and the over-under, if he could have those back, then the results probably would be different. Yeah. Um, so the gate pick and the third moto would have been different and so on and so forth. But ultimately, you can't take that stuff back. But really, I mean, I think – his riding was well all day, and certainly we want to clean up some of this decision making. But beyond that, he wasn't—he didn't make a lot of huge mistakes even coming through the pack, which is pretty good for him. Mm-hmm. Hey, in the past, he had been kind of criticized by some of his competitors for going a little too close when going for a pass attempt, and that you know has led to a lot of grief and a lot of hurt feelings. Was this like a conscious decision from you guys to like, hey, leave guys a little bit more room, or is it he just hasn't had to run it in on guys as close this year? Um, like kind of, hey, you need to leave them some space because you might need them not to take out your front wheel later in the year. Well, I don't I 
there's never really been too much of a discussion on that. I mean, I think at the first round where he got into it with Hampshire a little bit, like the first little bump of Hampshire before the whoops was unintentional because obviously it's slippery. Yeah. But then again, maybe, you know, that's something in the past that maybe he wasn't respectful of others as much. But, um, yeah, we're pretty pretty conscious to speak about others in a respectful way and treat them with respect on the track. Right. I mean, for sure. I mean, I, I think – the mentality is a little bit you get into like I hate everybody mm-hmm. right like you got to hate them to beat them but really you're you just focus on yourself and if uh, you're a faster rider on that day then you're going to beat them it doesn't really have any sort of animosity doesn't need to be attached to anything right. or any sort of like attitude towards them while you're making a pass or racing them that's certainly not going to be beneficial especially long term mm-hmm. hey what were your thoughts about the 450 races in Houston I was kind of uh one of the big talking points was Eli rolling that finish line on at the end of the second main. Yeah, I don't. What, what was your take on that? Did he not know that Marvin was there? I don't, I don't know. To, to me, it looked like he thought that he got to the timing and scoring line, like through the corner, and he got to the timing and scoring line, which was generally at the bottom of the takeoff or in mm-hmm. the middle of the takeoff. To me, it looked like he thought he got to the line. Like he just like he just went through the corner and got to the line. Like. Yeah, but yeah, cer- certainly on some of those videos, it, it looks like he laid up. But like, because you even go back to it, a good example is like Chad Reed last year at Seattle, where his bike was smoking, and he pushed yeah. his bike what quarter of the way up the finish line takeoff, mm-hmm. and that's where the transponder line was. Mm-hmm. I think casual fans would think, oh, you raced to the top of the jump, right? Which makes it seem like he laid up, but ultimately even on some of the fast lap times where you'll see some guys who are like trying to get in the main or whatever the case is, they darted to the inside and rolled the finish line jump for a better lap because they're like trying to. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it looked like he thought he got to the timing and scoring line, which maybe is an honest mistake, but yeah, definitely from a, from afar, it looked like he did something weird to let Marv by, but I don't think that was his intention. Yeah. What are your thoughts about uh, Cooper getting six wins this year after struggling so hard for two? Yeah, I watched him at the first couple rounds, and I, I I thought he looked super comfortable, to be honest with you, but his times weren't, like, great in practice. Um, then he obviously rode really well at the first round and came from super far back to whatever place he got, maybe around fifth-ish or something. Mm-hmm. So I think um, he gained a lot of confidence from that and then obviously started winning around the third round. But, yeah, I just think he, he looks like he's cornering super well. There's other spots on the track where he's maybe not super comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like this week, he, and after the, in the first practice, the untimed one, he ended up coming out of the whoops. Yeah. And, like, the flagger had to help him get up because his leg got wrapped in between the back wheel and back. the swing arm. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that is how, how quick word spreads, like, you know, whether it's text or social media or what, because, like, Roger Larson was in Europe at the GP, and he texts me, hey, like this was like half hour after the practice session ended. And he's all, I heard Cooper hurt his knee real bad. <laughs> you know, is he okay? And I'm like, I, I think so. He's on the line for the second next practice, you know. But uh, so I, I hit up Doc G and he told me that Cooper got sucked in yeah. and into the bike. And uh, the mid pipe was burning mm-hmm. the back of his calf real bad. So he got like second, third degree burn back there. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. it looked like he wasn't in a great spot, but then he wasn't in a huge hurry, I guess. to to because well, he, he, he was Yeah, he was stuck, but he wasn't like waving his arms or anything. And then he got up and he looked like, I was that, like oh, that didn't feel great. Yeah. But then beyond that, it 
he finished the lap and then he came back out and was super aggressive at the beginning of the next one. So, yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I texted Roger. I was like, Oh no, he's, he's going really fast. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, I asked him and he said, yeah, he had this burn and he's probably feeling it today. Cause you know, those kind of burns, they hurt worse the next day. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. And, and really like <clears throat> even Ferrandis in the sand on the last lap of the last practice, he crashed awkwardly and kind of, like popped himself up and he landed directly on the back tire and it like shot him forward. Hmm. So stuff like that is little stuff that people don't see on TV. Like, yeah, that's, he definitely has some skin off somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Same with, I mean, with Cooper, he, he was thinking that he was out of the whoops, like not necessarily going to endo, but he ended up catching the last one at the, just the wrong spot and then kind of got hung up in the bike and then the bike, I don't know. It was like, he was laying there, not, didn't have a huge impact. And then the bike, kind of shot forward and it sucked his leg up hey was that the whoop section before the finish or the one in the middle the middle oh okay because okay. the one in the before the finish line you could see him like ride the front wheel the last two yeah on that 180 camera yeah. so it was like i didn't know because they don't show that untimed practice yeah. on tv yeah but that whoop section before the finish line was mm -hmm. tricky as to where like you get into it and you because like you can go off that double and like barely gas it on the landing and then just pretty much coast through those whoops like mm -hmm. if you're you know you have good technique mm -hmm. so like i was adamant with adam about like what to do through that section specifically because it'd be an easy place to make a mistake so same thing like you're saying with cooper how he kind of let off at the end and would get Just front and low like, like that's exactly like tomax thinking probably mm -hmm. it was like oh well, i'm gonna cover the inside here because you guys saw ferrandis make a lot of passes there mm -hmm. i'm sure he was thinking well i'm gonna cover the inside here just get to the timing and scoring line which you had to open the corner up to hit the triple a little bit so yeah, yeah. i'm assuming that led to what looked like a big mistake on his end what's the uh Who's the biggest surprise for you in the 450 class this year, good or bad? Um, I'm happy to see Dean progressing. He, yeah. he was riding pretty well like before the season started for sure, but I don't think necessarily he had his ducks in a row like super early, so he mm -hmm. wasn't able to put in a full training camp. So then now that his training's been like more consistent, and, and obviously he's not trying to figure out how his dad's getting to and from the race with the bike and all that, <laughs> it's been able to. He's been able to perform and then i don't want to discount the you know help from chris laredo too which is jason anderson's mechanic mm -hmm. he's obviously super experienced and he's kind of a no-nonsense guy who's black and white as to what you're capable of and go get it buddy yeah. so i think he's a he's a great asset to to obviously their team and to dean um trying motivating him to do what he's capable of too mm -hmm. Hey, that's one big thing, like, I've noticed, like, Cooper has said Carlos has been a huge help. Mm -hmm. Dean has said CeeLo has been a huge help. What is it about these guys, like, from a mechanic for a racer that gives you that last little bit of confidence, like, hey, I know what I need to do? It, like, do those pep talks on the line really make a difference? Well, the one thing I will say from, like, being a racer that's very aware of, like, what's going on at all times, um, that the people that are around you really can affect you, obviously, mm -hmm. and... All of the riders, regardless of what level they're at, whether it's the privateer that had to drive there and figure out some hotel at the Red Roof Inn the night before, everyone's at a little bit of a, you know, at a deficit for rest. Everyone is either training to the absolute limit to where, like, they're just getting enough rest to perform at their best, or they have some sort of stumbling block, whether they're sick, they're injured, mm -hmm. their flight was weird, they had to rent a U-Haul. So, obviously, obviously, racing is not the most safe thing to do to begin with right so then your emotions are a little bit heightened because you know what could happen but then ultimately you add fatigue into it mm -hmm. and then everybody's not super 
stoked when they're fatigued, right? Yeah. So then ultimately you're like, wow, well, you know, you, your, your emotions are heightened and then how you generally feel is hard to, I, I guess, like forget about. And so when you have people around you that you really respect, mm-hmm. you kind of can generally forget about stuff that you're worrying about or things that maybe if you were fully rested for like a month or whatever and show up, it wouldn't bother you. But when you're on, you know, you've rode three times since the last weekend and then you traveled two days and you show up and you've raced 12 other times before that, you're pretty fatigued. So then when you can kind of have 100% confidence in people around you to shut a few things off and be like, I'm going to let this guy handle it. Mm-hmm. And what that guy says is kind of gold to you. Well, then that's, that's how those little things add up. Gotcha. Yeah, because I've always wondered, like, is it that big of a deal? Because some guys seem to be really inspired by, like, a pre-race talk before the gate drops, and other guys just seem like they want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Well, but generally, like, because I, I had both case scenarios in my career, right? I had I worked with some people that I really had a lot of respect for, and mm-hmm. I worked with a lot of people that were just genuine motocross enthusiasts that had some advice to, for me that was genuine, but it wasn't applicable, nor was it really, like, helpful yeah which category does Mathis fall under uh, Mathis <laughs> threw me off because he was he he was very knowledgeable but I didn't know that right because he plays it he plays it like he doesn't know because he's like oh you should know that I know because I'm a genius and you're like are you <laughs> yeah because you front like you're not right so then yeah. I would always be like I would always be super specific with him as to like what to do to the bike or whatever and he would get bothered by that because he was playing that I don't I don't know better because I'm not trying to do what you're asking above and beyond what you're asking of me. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I, I always tell the story about like, cause the, it was at Phoenix supercross and the premix separated from the gas. And so it would like bog went under a load. So it was on the takeoff of the triple. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, he didn't realize that that's what happened either. Neither. Cause I'm like, why would the, I mean, I come from Michigan, right? Like yeah. if the premix is going <clears> to, <throat> go away from the gas separate from the gas it's going to happen there but my dad was using some premix that wouldn't do that and but that phoenix supercross why would that happen right so i didn't know what was up so i'm like are you using the ratio right like what's and he's like so he would make jokes like a little bit of this a little bit of that but he had a 16 ounce can mm-hmm. and he's using like you know four ounces per for per gallon he's using four gallon can yeah so he's like making jokes and i'm just like dude it's not funny you know what i mean because i'm like I didn't know like what size the can was versus how much, but he did, yeah. but he's not letting on like, Oh yeah, dad, this is exactly, I'm doing it right. This is exactly how it goes. We're like, I needed that encouragement. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's, it's funny to look back now and think that he was that guy, you know, working on bikes and yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he's, he's pretty knowledgeable with all of that stuff for sure. But, I mean, even when he was, when he was my mechanic, he was, he, on my webs on my nickway.com website, which is abandoned at this point because I can't get the name back. He started, he started, <laughs> hijack you? he started his, he started his, um, like the blog. Yeah. It was like, basically it was like behind the board, he called it. So that was like kind of his first thing at there. He was, yeah. he spent a lot of time on it. So he was yeah. always into that type of stuff. Well, that he, motocross.com chat room. Oh, was he on there a bunch too? Oh, that's where you met Angie. Oh, really? You didn't know that he met her on the first internet chat room? Oh, wow. Uh, he had skills on the typing. Oh, you know? man. He would do the, the uh, two slash, I think her name was Goddess. Ooh. Two slash Goddess DM her, you know? Pookie, what up? Yeah. <laughs> he won't hear this. He don't listen. 
<laughs> so, hey, uh, getting away from the races a little bit, tell me a little bit about that shirt you're wearing. You got an uh, Arma shirt on. Can you talk about that yet? Yeah, the products are pretty much finalized and all of the packaging's finalized and working on a marketing plan to, to launch the product, which is going to be here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, rebranding Arma. There's a mm-hmm. new group of ownership, McGrath, myself, and a whole um, whole group of guys that are going to head it in the right direction for sure. Super yeah. experienced business folks, and we've been working with the formulators and the product and all the ingredients to make sure that it's top-notch product in which we can 100% get behind. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it is not energy anything now. It's nutrition, performance, sports, supplements, correct? Yep, it's fire, blitz, and reload. The fire being the pre-workout, mm-hmm. um, whole, whole green coffee bean, caffeinated, all-natural product, and uh, electrolyte called blitz, which has a lot of... Um, a lot of ingredients in there that uh, were important for all of us as a group to have in there. And I feel like we kind of redefined nutrition in the motocross mm-hmm. category specifically, and which will obviously carry over to life. And my daughter uses um, protein daily, and she uses gluten-free. And she's and, the gnarly gymnast, right? Yeah. So yeah. She, she does gym five days a week for four or five hours a day. And then ultimately, too, it was super important for us to have it third-party certified. So we got third-party certified um, through Informed Sport, which tests everything to make sure that it's WADA-approved, NHL, mm-hmm. NBA, NFL. Um, I think everybody in the pits has kind of shortcomings of, like, what are we taking as we don't want to have this thing happen to tickle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was important for us to make sure that to give athletes that peace of mind. And uh, it was an expensive way to make sure that we're within the guidelines and nothing is going mm-hmm. to be uh, out of the ordinary with anybody who's taken it. So we're excited about that as well. And, um, yeah, we're working towards a launch here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, we've got, we got some good products, and we're going to do our best to give back to the motocross, supercross community and the athletes that, that um, endorse our stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have a question in that. Obviously, Arma has – brand recognition already right i mean even on the energy drink level i know that there's like an arma helmet in europe that was like the best selling helmet so yep. it's like the logo is recognizable the name people know in motocross and stuff so i could see that being a plus of why you'd maintain that name but there's also like like when i hear arma i think of those that trail mix with the energy sprayed on it right so like what were the pluses and minuses that you had to weigh out to Stay with the Arma name or start with something new? Well, certainly Arma had done a pretty good job with the brand recognition. And then some of the the equity owners are still involved from the energy portion. Mm-hmm. The majority is a, a new group, but um, Scott Sepkovic headed up the, the group with the energy stuff. And he he formed some relationships in Europe. And Geyser won the MX2 title with yeah. the the Arma energy helmet. Mm-hmm. And then they obviously, like you said, they had a, a branded helmet that was for sale that did super well. I mm-hmm. think Scott Redding wore one in um, MotoGP or World Superbike, one yeah. or the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a pretty big um, presence worldwide. And um, we have a, a, a partner that's pretty significant that has a, you know, a track that's uh, a global place where they have GPs and such where he's he's looking to 
be a part of the brand as well. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, there's a whole group of motocross enthusiasts and some very experienced business professionals within the health and food categories yeah. where I feel like we're positioned to, to really succeed. And for me, it's going to be fun to work with those guys and also um, have a business venture where I can work with Jeremy. So obviously I have the utmost respect for him. Yeah. Um, but also at these races where, whether it's a swap moto live race series or these national events that I take my sons to, it's a way that I can kind of give back, whether it's, yeah. you know, giving some advice on nutrition before um, giving out some sample products or, you know, turning it into where I can do some sort of giveaway for whether it's a new bike at your guys's thing or give away to someone who, who's in need through sales of the products. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that, that's what excites me. Obviously um, I have a lot of experience with supplements through my career and I used a lot of those reference ingredients and such and brands in which I saw after to mm -hmm. use that I know worked well. And I think we, I know we exceeded those product quality. Um, so I know the, I know the products great and, um, just another way for me to be able to have a strong team work towards in business that will, yeah. will give us a platform to really just give back. Yeah. Hey, when your racing career was winding down, did you have a plan to do all these things, to be a riding coach, to have, you know, the clothing line with mafia to get into some sort of business like this, like long-term deal, or were you more just like, I'm just going to take a break and see what happens. Because it seems like a lot of professional athletes get to the end and then they don't really know what to do or they kind of try everything mm -hmm. and just see what sticks. Yeah, for me, once I was still racing in my 30s, I knew that I kind of needed to like branch out and do what's next, mm -hmm. right? Like I could get comfortably be in the top 10, but I was striving to be better mm -hmm. than that where I just knew that I needed the tools. And so a lot of it, I you know, was obviously did a lot of training and different types of approaches. So I knew what and what didn't work. So like we talked about too, is, you know, who you have to guide you with those things. It's who you trust. So I could, I could, I could rule out what I needed and didn't need to do for training and mm -hmm. know I was prepared. Right. But ultimately for me, it was the same thing we talked about with Dean. He didn't have his program totally dialed. So he didn't have amount of time or he was trying to figure out the easy ups or the Mm -hmm. the grass liquidator thing for the pits. He's trying to make sure he's giving his sponsors what's expected of them, which yeah. doesn't always go to, you know, consistency at the gym or consistency with your cardio training. It's a lot of the thing with Chad the last couple of years too, where this year he focused on, he was able to focus on his riding and he improved a bunch. Mm -hmm. But ultimately I was trying to learn how to develop the bike and make it best for myself while keeping in mind how much money I was willing to spend. And at, you know, I didn't, wasn't willing to put my family's, future in jeopardy over like getting sixth instead of ninth. Yeah. Right. Cause like what was my overall upside, but ultimately I learned a lot that's, that's able to help Adam now. And, um, obviously learned a lot over my career from a ton of different folks that I had have a most respect for that also led to development of these products along with our, our team that worked on Arma. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have a huge plan as to do this stuff, but ultimately as a racer, I was able to, make a, a decent income. Mm -hmm. But I think my ultimate goal is to not to, I want to do stuff that I want to do. Like, yeah. Uh, so motocross has gave, given me that as to where like, I'm not doing anything I don't want to be doing, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to evolve and learn. And if there's some things that I can be a part of mm -hmm. that makes sense and I can, you know, ultimately give back and help others, then that's, I'm super into that. And mm -hmm. cause really ultimately with Adam, I was in his, I was in a similar position to him before. Right. And I know of all the shortcomings that 
that I had and how I can fast track that and kind of eliminate some of the stress on him and he can focus on the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know for sure if, if I wasn't having a 100% impact in a positive manner in his career, I, would, I wouldn't be helping him. Mm-hmm. So it is um, rewarding that we're making progress for sure because obviously it is a lot of time commitment for me and even to go to the races on the weekend – for him, even though he's just the West Coast, it's, you know, there's not necessarily like sometimes I'd, I'd rather be home with my family, but ultimately I want to be able to provide a service in which I'm happy with because, you know, when you're commit to doing something, you want to do it the best you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, so I've enjoyed watching your progression as a, I hate the term mini dad, yeah. but, but I mean, you, know, you started off with the kids on just PWs for fun. At, at, at our race series, and, oh, yeah. and now I think Vincent just won his first national title, right? So was that something you kind of like knew was going to progress to this level, or were you just starting for fun and it kind of snowballed and, and kind of got some momentum that you couldn't deny? Or, uh, you know, I, I don't see you as a guy going, my kid's going to ride. He's going to start at this age. By this age, he's going to be this. And yeah. No, I mean, for, for sure, I wanted to be able to provide my kids and even Ava the ability to ride. Yeah. Like, I mean, ultimately, I was able to make a career and a living for my family that's um, I'm thankful for, that, but I'm doing, I was doing something that I truly love to do, mm-hmm. right? So I think for me to say, oh, sit back and say, oh, motocross owes me this and that because I all of these sacrifices and all these injuries that I wouldn't have had if I wasn't racing a dirt bike. I'm generally just thankful for those times, whether mm-hmm. it's like, you know, all the way down to like the relationships we, we've made, you mm-hmm. know, like we've became friends through dirt bikes and there's countless of others that I've become close friends with because of dirt bikes. And I have a great time riding even to this day. And if I didn't, if I would like to ride more, it'd be, but ultimately I don't really want to pack up six bikes in this van, you know? <laughs> okay. So wait, we're in this garage. Two, three. You got four four fifties here. One, two, dude. Vincent's got three bikes. Donovan's got three. I mean, um, you're yeah. all in, yeah. Bro. Well, but the, the, going back to your points, I wanted to, I wanted to teach my kids how to ride. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, at least I can do is teach them how to ride. Yeah. And then we go to your race series, the Swap Moto <laughs> Live race series, and it's like there's 30 kids who are just learning to ride too. So then yeah. all, all of a sudden they're learning how to ride, but they're also getting this sense of competition and sense of responsibility because of all the other bikes and then accomplishments that they're able to gain. And then even my wife, who was like, she only even knew about dirt bikes when she was like 19, 20 through me, yeah. has always been like, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right? But she would like obviously support me. But it once even once I got to like in my 30s racing, she's like, are you still racing? Yeah, what are we doing? Like, yeah, like you're not racing again. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, it's on. She's like, <laughs> so, and, but she, she sees how happy it makes the boys. And yeah. ultimately like Donovan, he pretty much chases butterflies a little bit, but he's gotten to be where like, he's not necessarily trying to get left out of the racing part. Yeah. Yeah. So he's all of a sudden recently been way more motivated. And even at this Texas event, which is a national event, he, he got seventh in his class, which we, he was sitting with me at the riders meeting and they were pumping up their trophies and how they give him top 10. And I said, you think you can get top 10? And he gave me the, yeah, right. <laughs> so he won seventh place. Yeah. 
So we, yeah, so he feels great about it. And then with the weather we've had this winter time, we were able to really work on a bunch of technique stuff because the tracks were tough and yeah. rutted. And so the race in Freestone was super rough and rutted. So he, Vincent did well and, and reached his goal, which was to win his class. So that's a that was a huge accomplishment for yeah. him, which okay. like Adam keeps pumping it up. Like, you know that seeing as how he won a national title, he's going to be a pro at some point, right? I'm like... National, t- it, was, he was like, it was a race last week. I don't know what this title talk. It was a race in Texas. The same boys we, because a lot of, honestly, a lot of the really good boys that we race are from the area here. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a there's a, a handful of other kids that um, don't live around here, but the vast majority of the top five within Vincent's class, like three, four of them from, from around here. So it was cool to be able to kind of go race them on a different track yeah. and him to do well. Do you get any uh, do you get any flack from the other mini dads, mini parents? Because you know, because you're Nick Way, do they think like you have like an unfair advantage or something? Uh, I think that they even the ones that I'm even the, the guys that I've become friends with still think that I don't tell them everything. Like there's some <laughs> kind of like secrets Secret. I got. Yeah, like I see you got these huskies now. <laughs> did Coster put these together even though they're huskies? I feel like he did. Yeah. What What are you running in this thing? Yeah. Or like they want to be my BFF to like look around at stuff, and I'm like, I don't know, dude. I just got it. I don't even. I don't know how to do the jetting. <laughs> hey, you're in a really unique position. Like you were a prodigy as a teenager, like young kid, went to the pro ranks. Now you have two boys that are very good racers. You have a daughter that's a very good gymnast. You have this outlook that they probably a lot of other parents don't have. Like, what are you guys doing to make them understand? Hey, this is still fun. This isn't like a life or death situation. We can stop at any time. We can take this as far as you want to take it. Well, I think that's like the the honesty of that. They don't want to hear, Mm -hmm. right? Like they they don't want to hear like, well, if you don't want to do this, your best, then we won't do it, Mm -hmm. right? Because ultimately, like as a parent, you want to make sure that whether what they're doing, like as Ava's gymnastics, it's not totally safe, right? Like I'm always Mm -hmm. nervous to get a call that something happened. We're always working through some kind of injury. And she's she dislocated her elbow and had surgery to put the tendon back on, and there's it's it the stuff they do there is tough. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and um, obviously with the the motocross stuff, the things are tough too. And you know you want to just make sure that if they're doing it, they're doing it at their best, their best level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, like for me, I only get upset at my boys when they're worried about what everybody else is doing, not what they're doing. Yeah. D, you gotta shut the door. <laughs> squeaky door but yeah like you are in such a unique spot because i'm sure at some point in your life you've experienced the same things that all three of them have experienced and you're just like okay this is how we're going to work through this you're not going to let them get too down if something bad happens yeah well and and certainly like you look back at like how you were raised and like because for me my dad i would always be like get like mad right and be like the clutch is slipping or something he'd be like i don't know dude i think it's throwing a mean roost (laughs) I'd be like, for real? Sweet. Like, it's I'm not that pumped. You're pumped? Yeah. So there's like, there's times too where I'm tough on them because mm-hmm. I know that they're capable of more. Not necessarily mm-hmm. like, do I, is it life or death if they win this mini bike race? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like, ultimately uh, it's important for me to, to, for them to know, like not to let them slide to like, they know that what they're capable of. So ultimately that's just like letting them know that we believe in them. Right? Yeah. Hey, so we're being joined right now by uh, the newest 
national champion in Greer Ranch. So, Vincent, tell us a little bit about how, how Texas went. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Just good? No, it was great. So, what class did you ride, and uh, how'd the races go? Um, I rode 7 to 11, 7 to 9, and 7 to 9 limited. Yeah? Then did you just wax those fools? Uh, in one class. Yeah? Did, Easy. Did you, uh, did you, like, fist pump at the finish line? Or did you know you won when you won, the overall? Yeah. Yeah? So was that your first number one plate? Uh, yeah. Where is it right now? Is it on the wall in your room? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Where's your third place trophy? It's in the trash. <laughs> in the trash. Oh, that that's first or nothing then, huh? Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. <laughs> hey, hey, Donovan, come over here. Let's. Okay. Okay, D. What do you got on your face, bud? Hot chocolate. Oh, jeez. Hot Louise. chocolate. Wipe <laughs> it. So hey, how 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 Texas go? I heard you got one of those nice trophies. What does it look like? Big Bowen. <laughs> oh, that's it? Yeah, it looks like a sheriff's badge, doesn't it? What, what place did you win? Seventh. Seventh? Seventh is good, huh? Mm -hmm. Top ten. Were you expecting to get a trophy? No. You, no, huh? You, you weren't expecting? I, I, I didn't know. You, you weren't sure? I thought I didn't. Only thing you knew is that you were getting better at picking your bike up quick, which pretty much means the sky's the limit. Because everybody who's six is going to tip over at some point. In the mud race. In the mud race. Did you mean to break your bike so I had to work on it? No! What? <laughs> is that on purpose? No, it's not. You sure? Well, I did wreck it myself. All right. Hey, I got a question for you. What? So, do you get bitter at all that, uh, you know, Vincent's got number 27 like your dad. Like, do you want that number or are you like the 25? I don't like that number. Oh. So you're good with the 25? Why Why are you 25? Because. Because why? It's my birthday. Yeah. The 25th? Dude, why? So, hey, in Texas you had to run 125? Huh? Why is there a 125 on that bike right there? I couldn't be 25. Because yeah. why? Because someone is out. Because someone already got it. And dad is slow at signing you up. <laughs> Dang it, sorry. Hey, you... I'd rather be like 27 or something. All right. Hey, do you know a rider or who went on to be super famous that started with 125? You know who else was number 125? Hmm. <laughs> Jeremy McGrath. Oh, I... What do you think? Mm -hmm. You could be number two. No. All right, all right. Well, hey, I think, uh, I think that was a good show. And it was nice to have our little guest co-host at the end. You rubbing the chocolate off your face? Yeah. D? It's licking, right. dude. Don't, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, thanks for listening. I'm Don Maeda. On behalf of uh, Nick Way, Vincent Way, Donovan Way, and Michael Antonovich, thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Us. Say bye. Bye. <laughs>